I want to share something with you that uh, I, I am such a believer in that can change your life. It's something that's there. It's something that's visible. It's something we've always known, but it's not necessarily something that we've practiced. And that is making the effort to lead somebody else to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know it's the right thing to do. We've heard it all of our life. If you've been churched, we expect it to happen. And those of you that's uh, been under my preaching for years, you know I'm a very honest soul. And for a long, long time, we just took the position that, well, when people know they're lost or get in trouble, they'll find a church and they will find us. How many knows we live in a different place than we did just a few years ago? And yet we're still <clears throat> commissioned to win the lost. We can be in agreement that there is a God, a single living God. We believe that this God loves us. How many believes that? How many believes he forgives us? How many believes he rescues us? How many believes he rewards us? How many believes he actually cares for us? And knows our name and everything about us and everything we're going through. How many believe he died on a cross for you? He proved that he loved us, didn't he? It's not an original quote with me, but the first time I heard it, I thought, oh man, that's something that just resonates with me. And that statement is simply this. He proved that he loved us because he would rather die than live without us. Great statement. He died in our place. Why? Because he had nothing else to do? No. He had an eternal scope on us. He it broke his heart that fellowship had been broken with him in a garden called Eden so long ago. So he built a bridge, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, so that we may be able to have fellowship with him again but also for eternity. I want to read a poem that has been a poem that has just drifted from decade to decade, from minister to minister, that whenever it's read, it just speaks to somebody new and it challenges them. It's simply entitled, The Return of the Cross to Golgotha. I simply argue that the cross be raised again at the center of the marketplace, as well as on the steeple of the church. I am recovering the claim that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves, on a town garbage heap, at the crossroads of politics so cosmopolitan that they had to write his title in Hebrew and in Latin and in Greek. And at the kind of place where cynics talk their smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble. Because that is where he died. And that is what he died about. And that is where Christ's men ought to be and what church people ought to be about. The cross. Turn with me to Jude Stand with me one more time as we read God's word together. Jude, 
as you realize, it doesn't have multiple chapters. It is a chapter. Verse 17, Jude 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, how many believes we're in the last time? There will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Notice verse 22 and 3. And have mercy on those who doubt and save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The overseer that appointed me to this church 22 plus years ago did his dissertation on Jude. <laughs> I love the title that he gave it. He said that Jude was the porch to the revelation. It leads us to the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. The wording here is very strong wording and it ought to resonate with us because we do believe we're living in the latter times and we, we are experiencing scoffers for sure. And we see that people can drift in among us and cause division. Can I hear an amen? And so here we are, and we're commissioned. What I want to share with you today is strong meat. What I want to share with you is, is tough. At the same time, it absolutely can revolutionize your life. And that is simply this. I believe in every believer, every born-again believer, as we are grafted into the vine of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we are brought into the family of God in our DNA, our spiritual DNA, there is this thing in us that teaches us, if we haven't already learned it, to start caring for other people, to not live so selfishly, to have others in mind and all that we do. And there is this thing in us, you don't have to be a reverend, you don't have to be uh, an apostle, you don't have to be an evangelist, there's just that thing in us as believers that we want to see other people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's in us. It's downloaded in us in that experience. And we find ways to cause that to happen. We don't all get behind pulpits. When there is a revival service, when there is a prayer meeting, when there is somebody walking to an altar that you've known, or even if you don't know, there's just something about us that wants to cheer. Somebody is praying. Somebody is believing. When we hear test, we love reading testimonies of somebody who absolutely didn't say, said they didn't believe in Jesus at all. And when we read that they finally come to faith, it just does something for us. We just want to cheer. We want to put the book down for a minute and just raise our hands and rejoice. And I will tell you this. Once you're a part, whether it is individually or corporately, of leading another soul, to salvation, it'll mark your life for the rest of your days. There's a taste that you get 
in your spirit. I want to do that again. I want to repeat that again. I want to be a part of something bigger than me. I want to be a part of that mission trip. I want to be a part of that effort. I, yes, I'll join the prayer team praying for that situation. Yes, I want more of that. It just does something for us. It's resolute in us. And then the enemy comes in and says, yeah, but you're not qualified. Just leave that up to the reverends. Just leave that up to the big-named evangelist or the local pastor. They'll do it. They're the ones praying. They're the ones uh, at the church building. Uh, they'll get the job done. And yet we know better than that. Each one of us have commission, been commissioned by God to go into all the world. It begins right here. Jude nailed it when he says that we build ourselves up praying. We know what it is to physically work out, but the, the spirit of us has to be renewed. The spirit of us has to be strengthened. There is no substitute for prayer. And praying in the spirit, sometimes knowing what we're praying in our native tongue, and sometimes it is praying in a spirit language, but that building up of self, getting alone with God. God, I need your help. Work is tough. Marriage isn't going the right way right now. I've, I've been challenged with, Lord, I need your strength again. And I find that in the prayer closet. I find it in that moment of prayer. I find that when I just whisper your name, Jesus. Building yourselves up. How many knows you've got to do that? How many knows this old world will beat you down? And when you do something foolish and you do something silly, and can I use my, one of my favorite words? When you do something stupid... There's always those that know that you did something silly, foolish, and stupid. And don't they like to remind you of how stupid you really are? And just keep pressing you down, just keep pushing you down until finally it's just like, well, I guess they're right, I'm just stupid. Or maybe God has sent them to remind me how foolish I am and he's given up on me. Or maybe I'm disqualified now. And who really could take any stock and confidence in me and what I've got to say? Because look at me, I'm a mess. Or I've been a mess. Or I'm quasi-mess. Or whatever the case is. And we just find those things to say, I can't do it. But I'm, I'm happy when it happens for somebody else. Praying in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Carl Barth, most of you wouldn't recognize that name, but a very esteemed, well-known theologian very intelligent, very well educated, and he was asked one time, he said, Sir, Mr. Barth, would you please share with us what you believe is the greatest fault that you've ever had in that magnificent brain of yours? He said, Yes, I can, I can answer that. Well, what is it, sir? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. We have to be reminded of that, that Jesus loves me. He loves me on Sundays when I'm dressed up, perfumed up, and going to church. He loves me on Monday morning when I'm, that alarm clock goes off and I want to throw that alarm clock into the next room. <laughs> I got to start the week all over again. He loves me on Friday afternoon when it's like, whoo, it's Friday, hallelujah. Jesus loves me 
this I know. What else really matters? I can handle the rest as long as I'm reminded that Jesus loves me. And how do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. Jude is not only telling us to pray in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Spirit, praying, period, but tells us to continue to persevere. And this is, this is one of those incredible statements that we can just miss so easy because we get caught up in devotional reading and it just kind of, we miss some of those, those components right there. He says, and keeping yourself in the love of God. Wow. It's my responsibility to do that. To surround myself in the love of God. To let my mind be fed the things that are wholesome. The things that are godly. The, the word of God or uh, other books or other things that just feeds my spirit and feeds my soul and restores my soul to put myself in a place where I'm listening to that which is good and honest and pure and just and lovely. And if there's any virtue, to dwell on those things, to put my earbuds in and listen to the songs that transform a life, gospel songs, holy songs, songs of praise. Didn't the Bible also say that's another way of building ourselves up? Build one another up by hymns and psalms, spiritual songs. See, we know these things, but are we practicing them? And in that, keeping ourselves spiritually fit, keeping ourselves in the Word, being in a fellowship with other believers, like-minded believers, you'd be surprised how many feel like they don't have a friend in this world and sit on pews every week of their life. Well, they really don't want to know my problem. I don't really open. Years ago, I did a, I did a message, and I had everybody wear a mask when they came into the sanctuary. I was in Scottsdale. We wear masks sometimes. Nobody really wants to hear my woes. That may be true to a degree. But when you get in fellowship, you don't even have to tell them about a problem. They can see it on you. Eric, you're going through something, aren't you, brother? Yeah. Can I pray with you about that? And that whole thing of trusting somebody else, I'll share with you the headlines. But I do need somebody to be a prayer partner with me. Again, it sounds like Christianity 101, but we have forgot some of this stuff. Building yourselves up, keeping yourself in the love of God. But this word, perish, this word, mm, what a word. It's repeated in the word of God many times. And we look at this incredible throng of people, host of people. And yet even looking at an image like that tells us that there's a possibility that many of these people will perish. That they will never know Christ. That they'll never experience the love of God. There are people you work with. There are people you... you, you, you you purchase groceries from them. You see them in the line all the time. It's people that at the Little League game, your grandchildren play, your children play, on and on and on and on, just people. But the Bible tells us 
that many people are going to perish. Isn't that a word that just takes your breath? It's a word we don't even like to use very much. Oh, we'll use the word perishables. But the word perish, we know there's a biblical connotation to that word. That's why I wanted it on screens, just speaking to us. The word of God doesn't hide that word from us. And it, and it encourages us and it tells us about our God. God, 2 Peter 3 and 9 says, God isn't slow, rather patient. Patient. To give the opportunity for each one to repent, not wishing that any should perish. This God that loves us also so loves the world. Again, it's speaking to us. It's resonating to us. Again, the privilege of sharing your story with somebody else and them saying, you do understand me. How many have been there? How many times has somebody come, you do have that t-shirt. I'll listen to you. You do know what I'm going through. Well, how did you get through? I'm so glad you asked. My faith is important to me, but not faith in faith. I have faith in God. I didn't believe it at one time, but I became a believer, and it's working for me. It'll work for you. They won't turn down your opportunity to pray with them. They may turn down opportunity for them to come to church with you to hear your pastor preach, but they won't turn you down for prayer. Boy, it's quiet. And it's true. John 10 and 28. What a great confidence. When Jesus says, those that I have given eternal life, they will never perish. Again, I'm not going to get into doctrinal disputes that comes with this next phrase, but it's one that I believe in. I believe in eternal security. Oh! Did pastor just say that? This isn't a Baptist church. I do believe in eternal security. I believe that I'm eternally secure in his hands. In my own hands, I'm in a world of hurt. I'm not only secure in his hands, I'm eternally secure in his hands. That's why I got to keep myself in the love of God. Oh, that's good preaching, Pastor. My God, you're doing great. Come on, Pastor. He said, those I've given eternal life to will never perish. And I want to do something to you. I want to be a part of that. I want that secure feeling. I, I want to know that I know that I know that I have eternal security in him, that he's given me eternal life, that I will never perish. But you see, Luke 13 and 3, the same Savior makes the statement. He said, unless you repent, you will perish. I just thought you were a loving God. Now you're a mean old God. No, it's on us. If we will not repent, we will perish. This blaming somebody else for my faults doesn't work here. He said, but I'm coming to offer this to you. 
There's a song that was written a long time ago, simply entitled, Rescue the Perishing. It never became one of the most popular hymns, but it was written by one of the most famed writers of hymns, Fanny Crosby. Yes, dear old Fanny Crosby, blind, wrote songs just like Near the Cross and Blessed Assurance. She wrote this song. She wrote this song inspired by this passage found in Jude, that she also had a personal experience in that one day she went to visit a friend in Cincinnati, Ohio. And while she was visiting that friend, the friend said, would you go with me to a Bible study? There's going to be some blue-collar workers there. Would you just give a testimony? Would you just share your faith? Would you encourage these workers? She said, absolutely, I would go. And of course, being blind, she had to be led there. And as she was speaking to this group of blue-collar workers, she felt inspired in her spirit to say, I know that I'm speaking to someone. that had a mother that was praying for them. She felt like that there was a mother's son there that needed to be rescued now or would never be rescued. After she's finished speaking, an 18-year-old boy walked up to her. He said, ma'am, is that me? She said, I don't know. Is it you? She said, my mother was a believer and prayed for me but I wanted nothing to do with her faith. But my mother left this world, died praying for me. Fanny had the privilege of leading this 18-year-old to the Lord in that meeting. After several years of writing hymns and serving, she was uh, also at a place speaking in Lynn, Massachusetts, it was there she was once again sharing stories. And she mentioned this song, Rescue the Perishing. She shared why she wrote that song, that scripture, and that young man. Another man walked up to her that night and said, Ma'am, I was that 18-year-old boy 35 years ago. And it's still working. This Rescue the Perishing Notice again the wording from the Word of God. Have mercy on those who have doubt and others snatching them out of the fire. What a graphic picture the Scripture leaves us with. Today we believe in first responders, whether it's military, police, firefighters, but if you'll envision for just a moment the harrowing stories that we hear of firefighters who when a fire is captivating a facility and everybody else running out of the building, they run in with one mission in mind. I'm going to rescue those who will perish if I don't snatch them from this fire. They can't rescue themselves. But I'm trained and I care. And there's just something in me that says I got to try. And that, oh my, that thing that happens to a rescuer that rescues one or multiples from a fire. 
never leaves them. It marks them. It does something to them. I'll go out to another fire when I'm called upon to rescue yet another one. Because I don't want to see anybody perish. Several years ago, many, many years ago, of course, some of you have heard of the name D.L. Moody, the great Chicago pastor, Dwight Lyman Moody. My father was named after him. My father's name was Lyman. Dwight Lyman Moody became well-known in the States and traveled abroad. And as he went into Ireland, there was a young man there, a very young man, teenager. His name was Henry Morehouse. Henry couldn't wait to get to church. He wanted to hear the great American preacher, D.L. Moody. I've heard stories about this man. I just want to be in the audience. After the service, young Henry made his way to the great D.L. Moody and said, I have a great wish. I want to come to the United States. And when I do, I want to preach for you. I, you've inspired me. Your stories have inspired me. I want to preach for you, Mr. Moody. He said, well, we'll see what God has in store. D.L. Moody was preaching somewhere else when Henry Morehouse made his way to Chicago. He got to the church and he found Mrs. Moody and said, I understand your husband's not here. You know, he's traveling. He'll be here in a couple of nights. He said, well, I've, I've, I've talked with your husband in Ireland and I wish to preach here. You've got service tonight. May I preach? So he did. And he preached on a passage that most of us would know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Several people came to the altars. Well, they were having a week of meetings. He was invited to preach the next night. And as he got to the pulpit and opened up his Bible, he said, I want you to turn with me to the text, John 3.16. And he would preach from John 3.16 yet again. And the next night he would do it again. Same scripture. By that time, Dale Moody made it back to Chicago and he talked to his wife. He said, how's the young man doing? She said, he's doing great. But he preaches different than you. Oh, he preaches that God loves sinners. Moody said, well, I'll have to hear it for myself. See, some of you are dumbfounded. The great evangelist and pastor D.L. Moody didn't already know that? Apparently not. He would sit under the preaching of Henry Morehouse and hear again, John 3.16, that God so loved sinners. That once again, the cross needs to go back to Golgotha. That God will go to where the smutty talk is spoken. Where the cynics will badger. Where people are extremely lost. Because that's the very place that Jesus died. It's where the depraved and the despicable lived. D.L. Moody would write in his memoirs that he was changed from that young man's preaching. And he from then on would preach that God does love the sinner. That it's his will that none, 
any should perish but have everlasting life. Would you stand with me today?